Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is DJ Hillier, and you are listening to the MyFit Podcast. This week's episode is a throwback to one of my all-time favorites. For those of you guys that have been listening for a while, you know that some of my favorite subjects are mindset, psychology, fitness, and sport. And all of those topics kind of came together when I read the amazing book, The Champion's Mind by Jim Aframo. I read the book a couple of years ago, and then I started the podcast and I reached out to Jim and he was willing to come on to the show and talk about his book. And I was so excited to pick his brain because that book had such a tremendous impact on me as an athlete and as a coach. For those of you guys who don't know Jim, Jim is a highly sought after mental skills coach and is also the author of best-selling books, The Champion's Mind and also The Champion's Comeback. For over 20 years, Dr. Aframo has assisted numerous high school, collegiate, recreational, and professional athletes. Major sports represented include MLB, NBA, WNBA, PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, NHL, NFL, and the UFC. In addition, he has mentally trained several U.S. and international Olympic competitors. He served as the staff mental coach for two international Olympic teams, the Greek Olympic softball team and India's Olympic field hockey team. He also served as a senior staff member with counseling services and sports medicine at Arizona State University and as a mental skills coach and the peak performance coordinator with the San Francisco Giants and the uh, MLB organization. So a super incredibly impressive resume from Dr. Jim Aframo, and he kind of brought everything that he learned into the book, The Champion's Mind. And one of my favorite things about The Champion's Mind is if you aren't a huge reader like I was when I picked up this book several years ago, it's a perfect read where you could just do one page a day and you can really take something away and bring it into your mental game. Jim is a brilliant and talented individual who's super passionate about helping others achieve peak performance and personal excellence and truly reach their true potential. Some of the topics we got into were first, what is being a champion? Being a champion doesn't require to be an athlete. This has kind of been a common theme as I've talked to you know people like Dr. Fader and other sports psychologists is that being a champion and having an elite mindset doesn't mean you have to be an athlete. After that, we talked about the quote, if you can spot greatness in others, then you have greatness inside of you. Then we talked about lessons learned from Michael Jordan's Last Dance documentary. Then we talked about the four C's of mental toughness, the three P's of peak performance, how to overcome self-doubt, what's the difference between being ego-oriented versus having a mastery approach. Then we talked about how peak performance is like a pile of sand. And finally, we closed down with a quote of how to train like number two and compete like your number one. Like I said, this is one of my favorite episodes. I highly recommend grabbing a pen and paper because there's a lot of just quick golden nuggets that you guys could take with you, whether you are an athlete, aspiring athlete, a coach, or just somebody who wants to improve their mindset on a daily basis. If you guys enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave a rating review and refer it to a friend. 
that stuff helps my show grow tremendously and it makes me smile as well. Thank you guys all for the continued support. Let's get to this throwback, one of my all-time favorites with Dr. Jim Afromo. Let's go. All right, Jim Afromo, welcome to the MyFit Podcast, man. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. I've, uh, I've been reading your books, following you for quite some time. I'm a big fan of your work. Thanks so much, DJ. I'm uh, excited to be with you today and uh, have a fun conversation about mindset. Absolutely. Uh, in 2015, I read your book on a plane and I remember uh, wherever I landed, I remember I was walking through the airport still reading the book because I wasn't, mm -hmm. I didn't want to put it down. It's such a great book with so many nuggets of information. I mean, each page you could go on and on and probably do a podcast episode on each page of the book, but maybe for the listeners that haven't yet read it, talk to me a little bit about what's the idea behind the champion's mind and kind of what got you to the point of writing this best-selling book. Uh, thanks so much for uh, for the kind words. Um, so I was the sports psychologist at Arizona State University for about a decade, and I would get questions from student athletes across all the different sports. And a lot of times it would be like, hey, uh, do you have any handouts for me? Do you have any little tips for me? Um, we're going to go to this event or that event, you know, uh, anything that I could read on the way there. And so I started putting together all these sorts sorts of handouts and you know confidence cards and all these type of things and uh, finally I just thought hey maybe I should put this all together into a book and so that's that's kind of the genesis of the book and the whole idea of the book is that you should be able to open it up to any page and kind of get something that might be useful or you know a good reminder or maybe just something that you already know but you know maybe a little anecdote. Uh, that's, you know, maybe a little different from what you've heard about it before. So uh, it's supposed to be just kind of fun and, and, and get you in a good frame of mind. Yeah, it's an excellent book. Like I said, you could take each page at a time and read one page at a day if you wanted to do something like that and get and get a lot out of it. One of the things I really enjoyed, Jim, uh, there's several things, but one of the things I like a lot is your idea about, yes, this is for peak performers and it's it can be for athletes, but a lot of the same parallels come over to people that are just trying to be the best versions of themselves, be the, you know, the fittest dad or mom that they can or the best boss they can. There's a lot of parallels between the two. And although we talk about athletes and people enjoy hearing about the stories of athletes. It really isn't just for athletes. Can you touch on that? Oh, that's such a good point you just made there. Uh, the whole idea is behind the champion's mind is to, to live a gold medal life. And, and that's to be vitally involved in what you do, uh, what's important to you. And, you know, kind of as the old army saying, uh, be all you can be. Mm -hmm. And so um, everything starts from the inside and works its way out. So, uh, we all have these little challenges, these little internal battles that we have to win first before we could win on the outside. And so if we're not confident, how can we feel more confident? If we're not focused, how can we refocus? Um, if we're not composed, how do we get our poise uh, in those big moments? So that's what uh, helps us in everything we do. And so I like to say performance is performance. And so whether you're a teacher, uh, you know, business professional or an athlete, we all need to think like a champion. Such a great reminder. And it draws so many parallels to your personal life. The quote that I really enjoyed out of your book, uh, uh, several of them, one of them was being a champion means fully expressing yourself and doing all the things you value in your life. Leave your comfort zone behind and deliberately and fiercely chase your dream goals, run hard down the field and carry the ball over the goal line. And to me, that's somebody who is you know, a lot of the people that listen to the show are the fit this, you know, this category. They're people that are go getters. They're constantly chasing, you know, what they want in their life. But I think the thing that really uh, sticks out to me is leave your comfort zone behind. Talk to me about why that's so important. 
Well, it's not human nature to go for the gold. Um, human nature is to settle for silver or, you know, good is good enough. And so, um, you know, in order to be a champion or to fully feel alive, I think we need to step outside our comfort zone and take risks, take, you know, and, and, and invite challenges. And uh, especially when we don't feel like doing it. And so we have to keep pushing ourselves um, and, and keep exploring and trying new things. And that's not easy, but it's always worth it. And right. so, um, you know, it's really about getting after it and going for it in life rather than playing small. Mm -hmm. The other piece I really enjoyed, it has a lot of depth to it too. We can kind of go down the road. I'd love to hear was um, doing all the things you value in your life. And this is interesting to me because I've been having a lot of conversations recently with people about what do you really want? What, what, what are you training for? What are your goals? Are they actually your goals? Or are they somebody else's goals? And it's very personal. It's very person dependent. Um, and it takes a while to kind of break down those layers, but it's, I think it's very important to, to express yourself doing all the things you value in your life. Can you touch on or expand on why that's so important and maybe how you go about that? Well, it's everything really, because when I work with athletes or other performers, uh, you know, one of the questions that I like to ask is why do you do what you do? And a lot of times we don't have a good answer. It's just, well, I've always been good at this, sure. or, you know, my parents wanted me to do this, or it just makes most sense for me to do this. And then we get caught up in others' expectations for our own life. And if you're doing what you're doing primarily for others, you know, for their own joy and their own satisfaction, then you're probably not going to be that successful or have a happy life. And so to me, you have to do what you do for your own joy your own satisfaction for your own self. Now, once you're doing that, then it's great to give back to others. Then it's great to team up. Then it's great to, you know, think of a higher purpose. You know, I'm doing this also for my community or also to inspire others. But at the core, you got to pick something that you would do for free or that you can't imagine that you would do otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so it really starts from there. Otherwise, we just get overwhelmed by expectations or feel like, you know, we're just kind of doing it to do it and there's no real passion or heart into it. Right. And you also touch on the importance of enjoyment. I think this kind of gets just like glossed over for people because they feel like what they're doing needs to be hard, needs to be challenged, needs to be gritty, which yes, there, I believe there's a time and a place, but to me, and I think from reading through, through your stuff, you would agree that enjoyment has to be that very center core. And then you build from that. Absolutely. Otherwise, we'll burn out. And, uh, you know, I ask athletes like, you know, uh, how much fun are you having right now? Because usually I'm the last person someone comes to They're <laughs> like, you know, I'm in a slump or I'm not <laughs> playing well or I've tried everything else. And, you know, you're the last person that maybe <laughs> maybe could provide some help. And, you know, I'll say, how much fun are you having right now in your sport? And the response I usually get is, uh, I just told you I'm not playing well. Why would I be having fun? And my response is, well, why would you be playing well if you're not having fun? And so usually we're too hard on ourselves and um, we just nitpick ourselves to death. And so I'll ask, is that why you picked up your sport? You know, ultimately, are you playing your sport to beat yourself up every day or are you playing your sport because you love the game? You know, you love practice, you love to compete. And let's get back to that because ultimately that's why you're doing it. And so the more fun you have, the better you'll do. And then the better you'll do, the more fun you'll have. So you're absolutely right. If you're not having fun, you're doing something wrong. Or, you know, and I'll say this to coaches too, if your team isn't having fun, 
you're doing something wrong as a coach. Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't mean like, you know, obviously it doesn't mean you're goofing off all the time. It's an intense fun. It's fun with a purpose, but it's got to be there. Mm -hmm. And so really, what do I love most about my sport and, you know, or whatever performance that I'm doing and how can I love it even more? I think that needs to be at the core, like you said. Do you have any tactical ways that you try to give athletes to find that enjoyment again, if they are feeling burnt out? Yeah, I think that's a, a really important uh, exercise um, in terms of, okay, how can I go back to having fun, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of what I'm doing? And I think one really simple tip that we should all do is write down three happy memories from our sport or three things that we've really enjoyed from our sport or from our performance. And so, you know, we often talk about gratitude, but this is a little different. This is just, you know, man, what are some really, you know, happy memories that I've had in my sport or things that were just fun in and of itself for my sport. Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily the outcome. It was just what I enjoyed doing. And it might've been, you know, just a tough game. I didn't think I could pull out and, you know, I ended up winning or just one time I was so in the zone. I just, you know, the whole world stopped outside of what I was doing and write those down and really reflect on those and bring those thoughts and feelings and memories with you to your next competition. Mm -hmm. What about the conversation, Jim, of I'm not having fun, I'm feeling burnt out, and maybe this is it for me. Maybe my road here is nearing to the end of my uh, professional or athletic career. How is your conversation maybe different? Or is it the same? I still want you to find these memories. How, how do you find the line between maybe, maybe your time is done? Yeah, I think it's usually what is getting in the way of you having fun. Uh, and so that can be uh, getting caught up in expectations or pressure from others, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's going back to why do I do what I do? What is most fun about it? And then um, working on, okay, uh, how much more fun can I have at this? Mm -hmm. uh, because at the end of the day, it really does boil down to, you got to either do what you love or love what you do. Mm -hmm. So, if you're not loving what you do, you got to find a way to love it, or maybe you got to leave it if it's not right for you. Mm -hmm. And how true is that, that not just athletics, but also just in the work world, we're more productive when we love our job. We look forward to it rather than looking forward to Friday, if you will. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, most people end up looking forward to Friday and, you know, I'll admit sometimes I do as well, sure. you know, we're all, we're, you know, we're all human first, but, um, but I also love the idea sometimes of looking forward to Monday, you mm -hmm. know, like I can't, you know, fresh start, clean slate, you know, ready to win this week. Let's go. Absolutely. One of the quotes early on in your book was, if you can spot greatness in others, then you have greatness inside of you. Can you expand on that? Absolutely. So there are four main sources of confidence and number one is past success. So a lot of times we don't give ourselves credit for what we've accomplished and, um, even minimize it or discount it. So number one for confidence is reflect on what you've done well, and that will help you to do more of that. Uh, a second area or source of confidence is uh, modeling or mirroring or mimicking the success of others. So if we could spot greatness in others, then at some level, we do have some of that success or those attributes within ourselves. So if I admire someone's, you know, their body language or their work ethic, well, that means that at some level, it really resonates with my own values or some things that I might be good at. So I can draw confidence from that saying, you know what, that's something that they have that I also have. And so they've succeeded. So I could also succeed. 
Uh, the third area of confidence is verbal persuasion. So a lot of times we get positive uh, comments from others and we, um, you know, we, we excuse those, you know, or, or we deflect those instead of saying, yeah, I worked really hard for that. Thanks for noticing. Instead, we'll say, well, I got lucky or that team wasn't that good or anyone can do that. Uh, the fourth area or source of confidence is, you know, how you interpret your physiology when you're ready to perform. And so most of us look at those feelings that we have inside those nerves before, you know, you know, before competition or in a pressure situation as a bad thing. And in fact, butterflies are good for you. Mm -hmm. And uh, we really want to use those butterflies to sharpen our focus and perform our best. The human body was designed or developed to, to perform better under stress. Mm -hmm. um, and so really welcome the butterflies and fly with them, you know, get them to fly in formation. Uh, but going back to if you could spot greatness, you've got greatness is look at others and, you know, kind of as inspiration rather than um, being psyched out. So if someone breaks the world record in your sport, instead of going, oh, man, you know, like I can't compete with that. You look at it and go, hey, they put their pants on, you know, one leg at a time like I do. If they can do it, why not me? Why not now? Mm, I love that. There's so much optimism there, too. When I think of peak performers, I always think of. And you said in your book too, just about you're constantly learning. There's never a time when you're not, you know, you're not coachable. You could be the best or the greatest of all time. And still we're trying to get a little bit better and learn from others. And I think that growth mindset or that shift is crucial. And it's not something that comes overnight and it's not something that's always easy, but just having an open mind, no matter what level you're at, something that I think everybody can hear again and again. Yeah, I love the saying, uh, the, Zen, the Zen saying, uh, always a student, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the master is always a student. And we could always get one day better every day. Uh, now, it might be in different ways. So I might not be able to get better physically today, but maybe mentally, or mm -hmm. maybe mentally, I might not get better today, but maybe in terms of my nutrition. So that's the beauty of all this is that we never totally arrive. You know, we're always getting closer and closer to our true and full potential. We never really arrive, but that's the beauty of the journey is how close can we get? Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's the fun of it. It would be, I think it'd be a really sad day if we reached a point where I can't get better at anything. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even though we're kind of working toward that, I think it would kind of be a sad day. So I always love the idea that, you know, there's some way somehow I can get better today at what I love to do. What a cool visual that is, Jim, of we're never going to arrive. To me, it's almost like I see somebody climbing a mountain and the peak is we can see the peak, but we never really get to that peak. And follow me with this analogy here, but it's kind of the the sense of we're going to train We're you know, if we're doing CrossFit, we're going to train every single day. We're never going to be the best version or, you know, the, the greatest of all time. But it's that constant pursuit of one hill after the other one mountain after the other. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think that's what keeps life exciting mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and challenging, which is, you know, there's always something in front of us that, you know, we don't know quite if we could, you know, achieve it or reach it or, um, or if there are certain areas of our game that, you know what, that's not my strength, but I could sharpen that a little bit today. Totally. And so I, I think it's fun. Mm -hmm. So we talked about confidence and I think the other side of it is self-doubt. And, and I read a, um, an interview that you were on recently and you mentioned that the, the biggest hurdle for athletes to overcome in your opinion is self-doubt. Why do you think that is? And also, Jim, how could we, or how do you recommend that we can start to work on that? Yeah. I mean, uh, if we don't do a whole lot of believing in ourselves, it's hard for us um, to you know find out how good we can get. And just the way that the, the brain is hardwired, we all have a negativity bias. And so, 
you know, it's really easy to start getting caught up in, you know, maybe I'm, I'm not as good as I thought I was, or, you know, maybe I don't, you know, this isn't for me to accomplish. This is for other people to accomplish. And so we, we tend to talk ourselves out of what we could accomplish and, you know, what we can achieve. So that's the way the brain is hardwired again, to, to keep us kind of safe and in our comfort zone. And so we really have to explore that and be aware of those thoughts, not always necessarily fight them or try to get rid of them completely, but not necessarily give them that much airtime. And then challenge them, though, in terms of, okay, you know, I've succeeded at this, you know, you know, well, just let me give you an example. So I might have a, you know, pro baseball player I'm working with, and, you know, he might say, well, in college, I was really good, you know, I was the man. Uh, I don't know if I'm that good anymore. And I'll say, hey, it's the same sport, <laughs> you know, because they'll tend to minimize. It. It's like, well, I was good in college. Well, you're still the same person and you played the same sport. So you have to find a way to believe more in yourself than others, you know, and so respect the competition, but believe in yourself even more. So one exercise that I love to do is just have athletes write down a list of why they should feel confident. You know, so for example, you know, going into a competition, you know, I know I'm working on all areas of my game, or I know I have it in me, or I know I have the love and support of my family, no matter what, uh, or I know I've gotten, you know, a lot of positive feedback from my, you know, competitors or teammates. Um, so you make a list of reasons why you can believe in yourself. And I think that really helps to counteract all those negative thoughts we tend to have automatically. So I really like encouraging athletes and other performers to talk to themselves, mm -hmm. you know, with these positive thoughts rather than listen to themselves with those negative thoughts that are going to come up automatically. Yeah, it's a very different approach, proactive versus reactive. I recently uh, chatted with an anth anthropologist on my podcast and he spent, um, I think he's, what was it? Nine months over in Ethiopia, working with some of the best and just watching some of the best runners in, in the world and kind of, you know, seeing what is their culture? Like, why are they so different? And one of the things he pulled away was their belief. And for some people, some coaches out there, they might shake their head at some of the training protocols they did, like running in the middle of the night and doing some of these crazy workouts. And to most people, like I said, they would be like, what are you guys doing? And they might think that too, but instead of having that approach, they believe. 100% in their coach, in their training. And then they knew that when they got up to the race line and they were looking left and right, it was almost like the race was won already in their mind because they knew they out-trained their opponents and they put in the work day after day. And that that belief, Jim, I believe is uh, bulletproof, man. When you have that, uh, sometimes it doesn't matter your ability level because your mindset is so is miles ahead of people to your left and right. Oh, I love it. I mean, you have to think that way or do your best to think that way. And uh, I worked with a PGA Tour player once who told me he had a really amazing conversation with Arnold Palmer and uh, back in the day. And Arnold Palmer basically told him is, you know, every shot I hit on the golf course in a tournament, I thought I was going to knock the flag down. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, I always thought I was going to hit a great shot. And then he kind of, you know, winked at, at, you know, the other tour player and he said, uh, it didn't always happen. You know, I hit some pretty awful shots at times, but I always thought I was going to hit a good shot. Right. And you really have to train yourself to think that way, because if you think you're going to hit a bad shot, you will, <laughs> you know, so the positive thinking or, you know, being confident doesn't always help you to achieve your goals. But the opposite is pretty true in terms of the negative thinking almost always does work, you know, in terms of bringing you down. So totally. 
you have to believe in yourself. And, and I do love the, the yin yang or the balance of, you know, be humble enough to learn in training, but be, you know, supremely confident when it's time to perform. Yeah. I was just going to say that because there is a fine line between being overconfident and cocky. And then that sometimes that can be worse than everything that we're talking about right now. So there, I definitely think that there's a fine line between the two. And then Jim, what are your thoughts on people bouncing back after a tough shot? If we stick with that golf analogy, I think golf is probably the most mental game that we, that we have. Uh, if somebody has that tough shot, how, how do you kind of coach people to bounce back? Yeah. I mean, the best in the world, uh, are able to put it behind them, that bad shot behind them right away. And the faster they do that, the better they are. So instead of getting upset about the bad shot, so to speak, really take pride in how quickly you could put it behind you. Sure. So make that your challenge. Uh, and if you could look yourself in the eye and say, you know what, I did everything possible before that shot to put myself in position to score, or, you know, to hit a good shot, then I can move on. Uh, if I rush the shot, if I, you know, um, had a bunch of doubts, if I didn't go through my pre-shot routine, then I need to make sure I do that the next shot. But if I did do all that on that last shot, well, welcome to golf. That's what, you know, that's golf. Uh, you know, it's not a game of perfect as my colleague, Bob Rotella likes to say. Um, but you have to think the next shot's going to be a great shot. And it's funny because I'll get feedback or, you know, questioning from others, you know, a lot of tour players that will say, yeah, but okay, that makes sense. But what if I hit another bad shot and then another bad shot and then sure. another bad and the, it's not going to help me. And my response is, well, what's the alternative to think the next one's going to be a bad one. And so you have to keep thinking you're going to hit a good shot until you run out of shots mm -hmm. and anything else is going to hurt you. And so um, you have to fall in love with that idea that something good is always going to happen. So you talked about optimism and that's what it really is, is something good is about to happen. And I don't know exactly why or when, but I need to wait for that to happen instead of hitting the panic button, you know, or giving up. Mm -hmm. Like you said, the being able to be optimist, uh, um, optimistic doesn't necessarily guarantee you the result, but it's way better than than the latter. And I think to tie it all together, the quote that you know ladders or goes really well with this is uh, from your book says, "To perform at a champion's level, you must cultivate long term memories for your success and short term memories for your failures." Yeah, I mean. A lot of times we talk about scar tissue in sports like, oh, man, I had a bad game or, you know, uh, it might have been at the Masters or it could have been at, you know, whatever event. And, um, you know, we tend to give that too much energy. And instead of looking at it as like, OK, that was one point in time. What did I do well? Give myself credit for that. What didn't I do well? How can I learn from that? And now I'm a better player. Now I'm a better athlete. So I actually can use those negative experiences as a positive because I'm not that guy anymore, or I have that experience now, and I got through it. And so I think what the best in the world do is when they get to that next similar type of opportunity, they look at it as, okay, I'm going to, you know, for example, using golf, I'm going to play the course or this hole or whatever, this tournament, the way it's being played this week. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't have to try to overcome something that happened in the past, because that's already behind me. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's important. And I just think it's, really important to, you know, love the opportunity to keep putting yourself in position to win. But that means that also maybe get my heart broken. But you know what, I can't wait to be in that position again. 
And so it's not always, you know, like daring to win. It's also daring to fail. Mm. And I could live with either one. So let's go for it. And part of the fun is just being in the mix. And so, you know, I can't wait to be put in that situation where there are good things that could happen out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's why I work, you know, that's why I bust my butt in practice to get in that situation. Mm-hmm. So you really have to enjoy the pressure and, you know, the more, the merrier. Mm-hmm. Somebody that really enjoys the pressure is Michael Jordan. And last year during COVID, we got to see the last dance documentary come out. Uh, did you get a chance to watch that? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. That was a really insightful. And it was fun. Fen- it was phenomenal. I just rewatched it again a couple of weeks ago and I-, I got even more out of it the second time. But something I've been wanting to do over the last few months is talk to us from a sports psychologist standpoint, Jim. Tell me, what were you thinking? What are some of the takeaways that you learned from watching Michael Jordan's documentary? Well, Michael Jordan, I mean, what a gift to be able to share, you know, his thought process. Totally. Um, we don't always get that inside view. Um, one of the things that I like to, you know, share with athletes and other performers is that you can't have everyone love you. And we saw that with Michael Jordan, that, you know, if you truly want to see how good you can be and, uh, you know, find out what's possible in, in, in your craft, uh, you're going to have to be, you know, you're going to have to be pretty tough. And uh, not everyone's going to love you and you have to be okay with that. If you want everyone to love you, or you feel like you need everyone to love you, um, you're not going to be very happy. You're not going to be very successful. So I think that's one lesson from, from Michael Jordan is decide what you really, really want and then go after that and uh, do everything within your power to make that happen. Uh, the other thing that I really liked about Michael Jordan is he did have a growth mindset. Um, you know, Early on in his career, he was considered just a scorer. And uh, sort of a selfish player in terms of, you know, he'd rather pad his stats and maybe get, you know, help his team get the W. And I really enjoyed just that, you know, when he really came around with Phil Jackson in terms of, okay, let's win this together. And, you know, I'm going to be tough. I'm going to be tough on my teammates, but we're going to win together. And so we're all going to benefit. Um, and then later in his career, he was able to make some adjustments. Uh, you know, he couldn't maybe dunk over everyone like he, like he did early in his career, but he made, he was willing to make those adjustments in terms of, okay, maybe I need to work on a fadeaway jump shot, you know, to, uh, to, to still dominate a game. And so he was someone that was, uh, you know, always learning and always growing and always, uh, you know, expanding as a player. And, and I really think that's important uh, throughout our career instead of, well, this is just the way I've always done it. So I'm going to keep doing that. I also like his loyalty. I mean, he said, I don't want to play for anyone besides Phil Jackson, you know, and so, uh, you know, he really bought in and was coachable. And, you know, I think one of his greatest assets, and, you know, he said it this way, is that he was a sponge. He loved to, you know, get better and loved to learn. And, and so he surrounded himself with people that would challenge him and, and, and that he could learn from. And I think that's important. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite parts, uh, it came up several times, was just how he motivated himself. And I think it almost brings a smirk to my face when I think about it, because sometimes, Jim, if you remember, you recall, he would make up stories to motivate himself. Like somebody said something about him, which is so it's it's asinine because this person didn't even say this. And then other times, you know, he would use media or critiques to help motivate him. Can we touch a little bit on motivation? And then also what were your thoughts on how he used fake stories and also real stories to motivate him and perform at some of the highest levels we've ever seen? Yeah. I think it's a great example of how champions um, find motivation wherever they can. And 
you know, it's tough to, to, to perform every night. You know, you have the 82 mm. games in the preseason and, 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 you know, the playoffs in baseball, I've worked with a lot of baseball players uh, and major league baseball players, and they have 162 games in 180 days, which is crazy. And so you're not always going to feel like you want to do it. So, you know, it's important to lean on your commitment, but it's also important sometimes to, okay, who can I prove right today? you know, in terms of someone that believes in me or who can I prove wrong today? Someone that doesn't believe in me. Mm-hmm. And so I love that example of just, you know, he would make up stories in his head because, you know, it just fired him up and got his competitive juices going. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, he wanted to win at everything. And so he would invent these little things to kind of give him that little spark. And mm-hmm. so, I, you know, I think that's fun for all of us to do is to, you know, is to make up some things that, you know, like, or even have an imaginary, you know, competitor out there that we're trying to beat today. Uh, I think that's the fun of it. I mm-hmm. think that's a lot of fun. And he also, you know, he's a person that the critiques fired him up where we've also seen the critiques do the opposite. It shuts you down. You start to buy into that negative um, connotation that is kind of surrounding you, kind of almost like a cloud. Obviously, he was able to do it at a high level on the reverse side of things, but I'm sure you've seen it on the other side where it really affects them, the outside distractions. Talk a little bit about how does the media and how do outside distractions play a negative role on your clients and how do you kind of reverse that? Yeah, I well, the the very I've been fortunate enough to work with some pretty amazing performers, and I know for several of them, you know, their attitude is it's my choice whether to go online or not, uh, and or whether to read things about me or not, and I'm just not going to do it uh, because if it's something that's really positive, I might you know start feeling like okay, um, you know, uh, start buying into the hype instead of trying to create it each day, um, or if it's really negative, you know, why would they say that that's not true or, you know, they get their feelings hurt. So I might as well just avoid anything that's written about me. And I, and I love where Serena, uh, Serena Williams has talked about that. If she sees herself in a magazine, she'll just look at the pictures because she likes the fashion, you know, she likes mm-hmm. seeing what she's wearing or, you know, uh, maybe she designed it, uh, but she won't read anything in the, in the, in the article. So I think that's important. Um, to me, it's, you know, you got to take all that with a grain of salt. Um, you know, uh, no one that has achieved tremendous things usually tries to tear other people down. It's usually people that haven't achieved and they're jealous. And so, you, ha- you know, you have to realize the source of where mm-hmm. that's coming from. Uh, but I think you could also have a little bit of fun with it, too, and realize that, you know, if they're talking about me, I must be doing something right, you know. Uh, sure. And also, too, that, you know, uh, was it Reggie Jackson, you know, the famous Yankee baseball player? He said, uh, you know, they don't boo nobody. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, LeBron James gets booed. Tom Brady gets booed. You know, everyone gets booed uh, at the highest level. And a lot of those guys, you know, some of them are, you know, on the most admired list and on the most hated list. So, you know, you have to be able to laugh a lot of that off. And again, go back to what we talked about earlier. Why am I doing this in the first place? I'm doing it for myself. I'm doing it for my own joy, my own happiness and my own self. And it's an added bonus if people get excited about it or want to see me do what I do. Mm-hmm. The other big takeaway from that documentary was I remember before it came out, he must have, Michael must have tweeted or put something out that people were going to think different of him after this came out. And uh, I was very, that's what kind of drew me into it was because there were times throughout the documentary when teammates of him would, would, would say, you know, Mike, Michael's an asshole. Like there's, there's no roundabout way about that. And his point of view was, look, I'm here to win championships. 
and I'm going to push you to your greatest potential and I want to bring you along for the ride. However, if you're not okay with that or you're not down with that journey, then I don't want you effing here. And that was very clear and it was a very emotional pivotal moment. I remember towards the end of the the show because he was getting teary-eyed in a sense of, you know, I, yes, I am a warrior and a high level competitor. And yes, it may turn some people off. And if you're not okay with that, don't come with me. Tell me a little bit about as a peak performer, what do those words speak to you? Oh, I I love that. I mean, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. And, um, you know, people are counting on you. And so if you're not prepared, uh, you're going to hurt us Mm -hmm. and um, you need to bring it every day. And I think part of what he was doing was challenging people. Let's show me what you're made of. If mm-hmm. you can't handle me at practice, how are you going to handle the, you know, the Pistons or, you know, how are you going to handle the Knicks? Totally. And so, mm-hmm. um, so I think it was a proving process at practice. And I think that that's really cool. And, you know, what I loved about Michael Jordan in the documentary is he approached practice as if it was a game. And so, you know what? I'm not here to mess around. I'm not here to get credit for just showing up. I'm here to get better and you better get better with me, you know, or get out of my way. And, uh, you know, if we're going to really, you know, so his commitment was a 10 out of 10. And I really liked that. I mean, he was a true professional in terms of I'm giving this everything I've got and I want the people around me to do the same. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Tom Brady's a little bit like that, but, you know, maybe in a kinder, gentler way. But his deal is, man, you know, the best teammates are the ones I don't have to worry about because they show up, they do their job, and there's no extracurricular, you know, stuff going on that interferes with me preparing for my performance. And so we all need to do our job and we all need to love our job. Mm-hmm. We talk about those three P's of P performance. You said there, there's presence, there's positivity and process. We talk about Michael in these sense, just other P performance. Can you break down those three P's even more? Well, positive, it, you know, again, it's, it's human nature to start getting negative. And so positive is, you know, I like to say, stay psychotically optimistic during your performance. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is actually by Luke Appling, a former, you know, uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Famer from way back in the day. And he said, if you want to be lucky, you got you to think lucky. And so, you know, all game long, you got to stay positive, like, okay, you know, like using golf as an example, I hit a bad shot, you know, tee shot to start the round. Well, I still have, you know, 17 and a half more holes to go. So you look at the positive side of the process would be uh, focusing on what do I need to do right in front of my nose or what do I need to do right now to perform my best rather than worrying about the outcome. And so I need to, you know, follow my pre-shot routine, hit another good shot, and then let's go. Um, and then, you know, so we got positive process and present. It's just, you know, champions live in the moment. Um, you know, there's the now moment, you know, the past moment doesn't matter, you know, put that bad shot a hundred years behind you. And then that next shot, put it a hundred years in front of you. It's all about this shot. So the better we do at the three P's in terms of, you know, being positive process oriented and staying in the present moment, the better we'll do at everything. Out of those three, Jim, what do you think are, is the hardest to, to, to master? Um, I think staying in the moment uh, is tough because we're constantly time traveling into the future. What if this happens? What if that doesn't happen? Or we start reminiscing or dwelling on the past in terms of, oh, I can't believe I said that, or I can't believe I did that. And we stay stuck. And so it's really about, you know, uh, about owning the moment. 
and, you know, and, and not getting caught up in what happened or what might happen, but what is happening. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a perfect example, uh, is Phil Mickelson. He talked about that, you know, he just won the PGA championship, uh, oldest ever to do it, which is pretty amazing to win a major. Mm. Uh, and he talked about meditation really helps him just to stay more in the moment and elongate his focus. So it's definitely something that we could all work on. And that's what I love about mindset is that, you know, I might not be able to jump as high as Michael Jordan. Well, I know I can't. <laughs> uh, or I might not have the wingspan of Michael Phelps, who also thrived under, you know, when people say, hey, you can't win eight gold medals or whatever. He said, tell me more. I want to hear what they said because it motivated him. Um, so we might not have the physical attributes of, you know, our greatest heroes, but we could all learn to think like them, if not better. And mm. to me, that's incredible. That's amazing. So we could all have a gold medal mindset, uh, which is really important. And one of the ways we could train that is through meditation. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about that on the sh- on on this podcast. About it's funny because the people I have on this show are from all different fields, sports, upbringings, and it seems like now more than ever, it's a continuous kind of come together on meditation and breath work. I find it so interesting. Whether it's a a personal trainer or a coach or sports psychologist or an athlete, it just seems like the world or almost or maybe it's just my show or where I'm at. But mm-hmm. people are really coming together on breath work and meditation together right now more than ever. Yeah. And it's free. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's something that we could do anywhere, anytime. Uh, you know, we might be waiting in line instead of getting frustrated. We could just, Hey, take some mindful breaths mm-hmm. or, you know, we're in a pressure situation, just take an extra breath. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, a key reminder about breathing techniques is just the exhalation is so important. You know, usually when we think about taking a deep breath, it's the inhale, that big inhale, but that prolonging the exhale or exaggerating the exhale is really what triggers the relaxation response. So couple, it's important for all of us to practice that. Absolutely. I have a couple of excerpts from the book. And like I, we said before, you could take each page and apply it for a day. So I'm going to jog your memory a little bit. We'll see if you remember some of the stuff because there, there's so many pieces. But um, one of the paragraphs I really enjoyed hearing and I think needs more depth and more talking about is ego oriented versus mastery approach. If you remember this, can you break it down? Oh, this is such a key um, topic uh, because we do things for primarily one of two purposes. One is mastery, which is more of the intrinsic reward of, of the, of the performance or the task. And then external or extrinsic or ego orientation is more, what are we getting out of it? Um, And so Intrinsic would be, um, you know, I would do this for free or I just love playing, you know, my sport. Uh, You know, I I just can't get enough of it. You know, I wake up in the morning and I just want to do it because I enjoy it. I love the challenge of it. I love getting better at it. And so that's more of a mastery approach is, you know, again, how good can I get at this? What's possible for me? How far can I go with the talent that I have? Uh, And that's exciting regardless of, you know, whether anyone notices or whether I get paid for it. Uh, Phil Mickelson is like that. He doesn't need the money. (laughs) You know, uh, Tom Brady doesn't need the money. He just loves playing football at a high level and seeing what's possible. Uh, Extrinsic motivation is what society, to be honest, is all about, which is how much money are you making or how many trophies did you win or, um, you know, it's more about status and, you know, and, and more about external 
rewards. And those are fine. But I think the best of the best look at those as an added bonus rather than primarily why they're doing what they do. So appreciate those things, enjoy those things, you know, get as many of those things as you can. But I think it's kind of sad if you're doing it just for those things, Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, those things just collect dust, (laughs) you know, like trophies are nice to look at, but they collect dust. The memories are, are priceless and the experiences are everything. Yeah, th- this is a. T- I love this topic, man, because I think as you know, uh, you know, our gym and people that we work out with, they're a lot, you know, moms and dads, 40, 50, 60 years old. And there just becomes this, there's got to be this time in your life at some point when you just want to do things that you love and just to master them. And I think the words are perfect. And it's also relates back to growth mindset and a lot of the things we talk about um, in this show. But what I would imagine is for people that are high level performers, peak performers, professional athletes, they get paid by the ego side of things. So the status, the trophies, the, you know, um, the accolades yet Mm -hmm. we're trying to cultivate more of the mastery side of things. I could see there being a little bit, I don't know if confusion is the right word, but if somebody's getting paid and, um, you know, they're getting clapped and a pray and, and praised for those things yet we're trying to cultivate the other side. How do you go back and forth between the two? Am I making sense here, Jim? No, it's, it's tough. Um, I think you could be high at both. I mm-hmm. mean, but um, at the end of the day, I think you need to ask yourself, um, you know, am I really enjoying what I'm doing mm-hmm. in and of itself for the sake of doing it? And you can't go wrong there. And so, because I think a lot of times we'll, uh, we'll you know, we, we might mouth the, mouth the words, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm doing this because I love to do it, but we don't really feel that on the inside. And again, I think that just leads to burnout and a lot of negative things. And so, again, is is to dwell a little bit on what do I love about what I do, and um, and that's where gratitude could actually come in uh, because I think what the extrinsic rewards or the ego orientation leads to is a lot of entitlement. Yes. Um, and so we start expecting things or demanding things, or we start treating people, you know, in a really negative fashion. And I think the gratitude thing is really important in all of this is, uh, you know, think about all the people that have helped me to achieve what I've achieved, or think about all the people that, you know, want to come watch me play my sport uh, and really enjoy that. Um, Think about, you know, all the benefits I'm getting from playing my sport, just, you know, in terms of feeling alive or, you know, being healthy and those kind of things. So dwelling on what swell is important, you know, or putting, you know, gratitude in your attitude and that really frees us up and gives us that emotional freedom to, to perform our best. Um, so gratitude is a, is a big component of that. And, uh, and spending a little time each day about thinking about what we're grateful for and then also who we're grateful for mm-hmm. is, is really important. Some of the words I just wrote down here as I'm trying to delineate between the ego versus mastery. And I think mastery in the way you described it, I think of three words. I think of long-term, I think of longevity, and I think of vitality. Those are kind of the words I think. It's very much a a long-term idea process. And then when I think of the opposite, it's much more short-term, self-gratifying right here and now. And it's almost like if you can delineate between the the long-term and the short-term, that's kind of how I see those two things. Would you agree? I think that's a big part of it because mastery approach assumes that this is going to be a journey. You know, this is going to be a process. And so there's going to be some ebbs and flows and some ups and downs along the way. And that's cool. That's okay. Um, There's going to be those spells where I kind of hit a wall, Um, but Hey, what can I learn from it? I think that the 
Ego orientation, exactly what you said, is really short-term focus in terms of did I win or lose today um, versus what did I learn or how yes. am I getting better today? But also, I would say perfectionism is in there too. Okay. A mastery is assuming that you know this is always going to be a work in progress, whereas perfectionism is I don't want to screw up, I don't want to lose. And so, mastery approach is more fun-based, you know, like, man, I got my butt kicked today, but... I now I know what I need to work on more. So I'm even more driven. Whereas I think the perfectionism ego approach is, man, I got my butt kicked today. That was embarrassing. I don't ever want to be in that situation again. And so we shut down or avoid challenging ourselves. Mm -hmm. Another uh, paragraph from your book, it's small, but it has a ton of depth. I think and I'd love to hear more. I love the analogy. It's peak performance and a pile of sand. Can you talk about that analogy? Yeah, it's tough because you know, we work so hard to put ourselves in position uh, to reach our goals that when we're in that position, sometimes we over try and we overthink and we force things uh, in an effort to get what we most want. And um, that's counterproductive. Uh, the harder we try, sometimes the less we get. So it's the analogy there is, you know, if you hold sand, you know, a pile of sand in your hand, and you don't care at all, it's just going to go through your fingers. You know, you're not trying, you're not really trying to even hold the sand. But if you try too hard, you know, to hold on to it or to get it, um, you squeeze the, you know, you squeeze the sand out of your fingers. And so it's finding the right balance between caring and not caring. Mm -hmm. And I had one Olympic athlete that explained it to me this way. He said, when I compete my best, it's, you know, 95% focus, you know, on what I'm doing and 5%, I don't care what happens. You know, so it's this little extra kind of like, uh, you know, I'm, you know, hell bent on what I want to achieve, but I kind of have this, a little bit of this carefree attitude. So to me, it's finding the balance between being careless or careful and being carefree. And that's really freeing it up and performing our best. So careless would be letting the sand fall out of your fingers and careful would be trying too hard to achieve a result. And so a lot of that does come back to confidence too, because if you know, like, Hey, I know I have it in me. I put in the work. Uh, why not me? Why not now? Um, you kind of let it almost happen or, you know, instead of trying to force it to happen. Mm -hmm. I love that analogy and I could, because I can see it, I can visualize that and it makes so much sense. And to me, Jim, the people that listen to the show, I would say they're, if you look at the spectrum, they'd probably be more on the side of squeezing it too hard and not, not the careless side. But we know that squeezing it too hard, having too much intent, being super focused, not looking at anything else, having a ton of intensity can actually be a, a point of diminishing return rather than, you know, the outcome that you're looking for. So, to me, if you could touch a little bit more on why can't we be over-squeezed? Well, I think the best balance uh, is to be a little bit more over-squeezed in training and in practice. Okay. And then when you get to competition, it's to free it up a little bit more and let that talent out naturally and unrestrained. So I think most of us make the mistake of being you know, under intense or under focused in training. Yeah, it's the opposite. So this, yeah, it's the opposite. This <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter. This, you know, this doesn't count. Um, and then when we get to a competition, this means everything. Oh my God, I got to be perfect. And to me, that's being an over motivated underachiever. Mm -hmm. I think what you need to be is, man, practice is where it's at. 
I need an, an example. And Michael Jordan was a perfect example from, from the documentary. He showed up to practice just like Kobe Bryant, just like, you know, Tom Brady, just like a lot of the, you know, Serena Williams, they show up to practice, you know, they're a, they're a champion on a mission, you mm -hmm. know, at practice. And this means everything, you know, it might not count in terms of the score, but it matters, you know, more than anything. And so take pride in the way you practice the train, prepare, but then when you get to the competition, just be yourself. Mm -hmm. You don't need to do anything extra or special. Um, you know, I've had athletes in the Olympics that have said, you know, Hey, the Olympics is just a really fancy practice, <laughs> you know? So I really like the, you know, it's, you know, or mixed martial artists say, Hey, you know, a fight is just a really fancy sparring session. Mm -hmm. And it really is. So they almost overplay practice and then underplay the competition where most of us underplay practice and then overplay the competition. Mm -hmm. And so with a lot of performers, I'm getting them to, Hey, focus on what you can do to get better today. Give it that hundred percent. And then when you get to the game, downplay it. It's mm -hmm. the same stuff I do every day. I just need to be who I am. And so that's why I use the phrase sometimes, you don't need a game face. You just need your face. Bring that to the game. Mm -hmm. Don't try to be someone you're not. And, you know, another example is Larry Bird. He, he was asked, what's your mindset during the playoffs? And, you know, during you know, NBA championship series. And he said, I just bring my basic game, you know, because he worked so hard outside of his game that he didn't need to be someone he wasn't. Totally. It goes back to that belief that we talked about too. And this has become more and more evident in my conversations with people is how important belief is. And we, we touched on it already. So I don't, I don't mean to go through it again, but it, it, it comes up again because it is very crucial. Oh, it, uh, self-belief is everything. Uh, our thoughts create our feelings and then, you know, our thoughts and our feelings uh, affect our performance. So we've all known some amazing physical specimens sure. that never achieved much because they didn't believe in themselves. Mm -hmm. And then we also know you know, many examples. And again, let's go back to Tom Brady of, you know, Hey, this guy might not have all the physical attributes, but you know, between the airs, he's pretty good. And so he was able to overcome a lot of the physical limitations because he was such in a winning state of mind that he got everything out of himself. And mm -hmm. so that's why belief really is everything. And one way to really help with your self-belief is when you do something well, um, Give yourself credit. So say, that's like me to do it. You know, that's like me to do that. Um, and then when you don't do something well, okay, maybe it's just a, you know, a minor correction or a small adjustment I need to make instead of like, that's like me, or I always screw up or, you know, so we really need to feed the identity that we want to have. Mm -hmm. I think one way to do it too, I've learned through other podcasts is just the, the phrase of I'm the type of person that blank. Exactly. So I'm the type of person that performs well under pressure. I'm the type of person that makes my bed every morning. It's just kind of like wh whatever it may be, right? It's just come up, come up with that sentence of you're the type of person that, and then it starts to, you know, you start to say it, you start to think it, you start to believe it. And then you literally become that exact person. It's a total self-fulfilling prophecy. And that's why in, in the champion's mind book, one of the little Zen stories was about flipping the coin before battle. And, yeah, you know, if yeah, it's head, yes. we're going to win. And if it's tails, we're going to lose. And then it was heads and they ended up winning. And it was like, wait a minute, that was a two headed coin. And it didn't matter because they thought they were going to win. So it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. So yeah, I love that. You know, it's, I'm the type of person that, you know, does the extra work, or I'm the type of person that loves being tested or up against the odds. Mm -hmm. um, and that becomes who we are. And so, 
Um, isn't that amazing that we could change our destiny just by changing our beliefs? Totally. That's the, that's the importance of the mindset and the mental game. That's why I love this stuff. One of my favorite quotes, I don't know if you said it or if you took it from somebody else, but it's, it's my favorite one. It's train like your number two compete like your number one. I think a lot of people have their own ideas or, or different visionaries when they, when they hear that, but why, what, what comes to mind when you hear train like number two compete like number one? Well, uh, I love that. You know, a, a similar one is um, train like you've never won and then compete like you've never lost. Ah, <laughs> so, I like that. Um, but no, those are fun because, again, it's, it just emphasizes the importance of really getting after it in terms of your preparation and leaving no stone unturned. So then when it's time to perform, the work is done. So it's kind of almost like, you know, you've set the table for success. Now it's time to go out there and enjoy the meal. Mm -hmm. And so uh, everything is about preparation and preparing ourselves to be the best that we can be. And think about the confidence that gives you knowing that, you know, I've checked off all the boxes in terms of nutrition, mindset, rest and recovery. And then it's like, man, you know, this is my day now, you know, mm -hmm. let's go out there and get what I'm, you know, came after. And, you know, it's, I don't know if it's going to be pretty or I don't know if it's going to be ugly, but at the end of the day, I'm going to find a way to get the job done. And totally. so I think that's fun. But that also means too, Jim, and you would agree that you got to do the work. We can't just say I'm ready to go. I'm prepared and have a lackluster two times a week practice schedule. The work still needs to be done. Yeah. Most of us, to be honest, uh, con ourselves. Uh, I call it a self-con where um, we think we're working harder than we really are. <laughs> and so, uh, or doing more than we really are doing. And um, so, you know, kind of a tough question, you know, and I do it a little bit tongue in cheek is when an athlete tells me, oh, I'm working hard or I'm committed, you know, my response is compared to who? Yeah. Um, you know, and, are, you know, so you say you work hard, are you working hard compared to the guys you hang out with? Or are you working hard compared to the best in the world of what you do? Mm -hmm. um, so to me, kind of a, you know, a, 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 you know, look in the mirror type of question is, you know, on a commitment scale, uh, a 10 is there is nothing I could be doing differently. You know, it's kind of like an Armageddon question, you know, if the world was going to blow up, if you weren't a 10 on a 10, on your commitment level to your craft, um, you, you would have to honestly say, there's nothing more I can do to be the best I can be at what I do. Mm -hmm. um, and if it's less than a 10, then you're giving yourself an out. Mm -hmm. So have the courage to go for a 10, which is I'm going to do everything in my power to see how good I can be. And I'm not going to BS myself. Mm -hmm. um, and if you really do think you're a 10 out of 10 in terms of your commitment level, would your teammates say that, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, would your coaches say that? And right. it's interesting because a lot of times when I'll ask that question, they're like, well, they might not give me a 10. Mm -hmm. Okay. What can you do differently? So they would give you a 10. So I think that's a good self-reflection question. Totally. Last question here before we wrap things up. So the byline on, on the book and a constant theme is that champions think gold and never settle for silver or bronze. Very loaded question, Jim, but what's one way somebody listening to the show can start thinking more for gold rather than silver or bronze in their day-to-day -day life? You know, I think one of the things to ask yourself is what can I start doing in my life that would get the attention of those around me in a positive way? Mm. And so I don't think we make a change big enough to really matter unless other people notice it. So for example, if you're really getting after it at practice and showing up early and maybe staying late, and it's not always doing more, but 
you know, uh, doing things where someone around you starts saying, wait a minute, what's going on with you? <laughs> you know, like, did you get a, did, you know, did you just, you know, win some lottery or something? Or did you just, you know, like you just, I, I've never seen you this happy or this motivated or this driven before what's going on with you. Those are the types of comments that you want to get that tell me, okay, I've, I'm now outside my comfort zone. I'm now doing something better or different than I've done before. And so try to get as many of those compliments or those, you know, that, that positive feedback as you can. And that will tell you that, you know what, I'm on the right track. So it might be a coach, you know, going up to a coach and saying, what am I doing? What can I do better? And a coach going, wow, I've never heard you say, ask me that before. That's great. So trying to surprise other people in a positive way is a great way to, to kind of prove to ourselves that we're doing something extra or special in terms of our preparation. Very cool. It goes back to the student, always being a student, always learning, never being too good to take advice from other people, I think is very important. It's a humble piece too, right? Like there's, you're never too good to ask somebody, how can I be better? No. And I think that's important. And, and the, the one uh, comment I get from a lot of coaches is I'll say, you know, what's, what's a tough thing for you as a coach, you know, and, and it'll be that, you know, a lot of my athletes think that criticism, uh, you know, or feedback is criticism. Mm. You know, a lot of the, my athletes think that, you know, if I'm trying to help them, I don't believe in them or, you know, I'm knocking them down somehow. In fact, I'm just trying, I believe in them. I think they could do even better or, you know, they just might need a small adjustment or a little, you know, correction. And so, uh, you know, I think it's important to be able to, as athletes or performers, is to be able to tell the truth on ourselves and to be able to look at what we're doing right, but then also what we can do better and realize that's a gift um, because uh, who does, you know, we, we don't want to stay static. We want to keep getting better. And so if someone could help you with that, they're actually doing you a favor. So search those opportunities out where someone is, is, you know, is willing to tell you the truth. And that's what a good friend does. A good friend doesn't always tell you what you want to hear. They tell you what you need to hear. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Uh, Jim, just like your book, man, you're just full of wisdom and any question that comes up, you just knock out of the park. So I really appreciate taking the time and helping out some of the listeners that maybe have some questions on mindset. Uh, if I want to point them in the direction of what you're working on, obviously we'll put the book in the show notes. Is there anything else, any projects you have in the works that I can point them towards? Well, I'm really excited. Uh, I have a new app out now um, and it's Champions Mind app um, and you can just find it at, you know, at the app store um, or just online. Um, but um, it's kind of like, um, you know, having a sports psychologist in your pocket that you could bring wherever you want. And so a lot of mental training uh, topics that we've discussed today, but also a lot of experiential activities in terms of mindfulness, in terms of breathing techniques, in terms of gratitude and those kind of things. And so um, we always have, we don't always have big blocks of time, but we always have little bursts of time throughout our day before or after practice at night or in the morning between classes on the road. And that's where the app can really come in handy. So I'm really excited about that. We're getting a lot of good feedback on it. Very cool. Um, I will put that in the show notes as well. And then could you touch on your second book and maybe uh, just how it's different from this one, the, the comeback? Yeah. So the second book is the champions comeback. And the whole idea there is that if you go after big things in life, you're going to, you're going to have some big disappointments along the way. And, you know, whether with injuries or whether with tough losses and you're not defined by those things, you're defined what you do after those things. Mm -hmm. And so the whole concept is uh, love the comeback more than you hate the setback. 
And, you know, so when you do hit a wall, get really excited about, okay, how am I going to overcome this? How am I going to get better through this? And then that's going to be more rewarding than if you never had that setback. So it's all about being resilient and overcoming. I love that. I'm going to order that and it'd be fun in a couple months to talk about that book as well. Cause I'm sure if it's anything like this, it's amazing. So that would be fun to do this again. Jim, I really appreciate, appreciate it, man. It. Thank you so much for taking the time guys. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to uh, post on your Instagram, give a rating review and also reply to us. Tell us what, do, what did you get out of the show? What was kind of your favorite point? We would love to hear your feedback as well. And we'll see you guys next week for another episode on the my fit podcast. Take care.